is Tap In Time, a Chapman Stick podcast. Whether you've played the instrument for years or are just curious, if it's stick talk you're looking for, this is the place. So come along and stay a while. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Tap In Time, session number seven. My name is Gene. I'm Claire. Oh, the others couldn't make it today? I know. Where are they? We don't know, but you know who did show up instead. Kevin, yes! Oh, Oh, this is going to be so much fun. So you may know or recognize Kevin Keith as the face of the railboard for the Chapman Stick. Kevin has been working with the railboard, was an early adopter, and has been playing the Chapman Stick for well over 20, 30 years. Both Claire and I have uh, worked with Kevin at the Freehands Academy in 2013 and 2014. He's worked in numerous other seminars with Jim Meyer and throughout kind of the stick community. He's a fan favorite. And uh, he's uh, his more recent work included work with um, Apple and prior to that, Google. So maybe you've heard of them. Um, but one of the what you may not know is that he started out in uh, working with Neve in, in the recording industry and did a lot of work in, um, or rather, he's kind of paralleled his career in music with uh, electronics, which gives him a very unique perspective on pairing those two items. And so. Uh, we're looking forward to learning more about him in this conversation. So welcome, Kevin Keith. Hey, thank you so much for having me and great to be here. So let's see, today is what, Saturday, July 11th. We've got Claire out of bed at, you know, the, the crack of dawn. <laughs> I am not a morning person. I'm sorry. I'm on the East Coast, but uh, yeah, I'm not a morning person. Sorry, guys. I got my coffee, though, so I think I think we'll be okay. You're fun to be around. We had so much fun. Um, actually, I did get kind of kicked off the island for the Jim Meyer interview, but that's only because the the Squadcast application can handle four people, and I think that uh, I drew the short straw. <laughs> Somebody had to go, but it was such a great session, and we've, uh, Kevin and I have been talking about getting together, and so um, yeah. I'm so delighted to get an opportunity to spend a morning uh, with you, Claire, and with Kevin. So, um, you, you know, we'll, we'll get right into it. Kevin, I'd love to hear like the past year or two, what's been going on. I know there've been some big changes and in our conversation that we had prior to this, it just seemed that you were just like brimming over with excitement and that music was alive in your life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Relocated, left Los Angeles and was there for 24 years. Unbelievable ride. Great experience. A lot of great people, a lot of great stuff. Uh, It was time to make a life change. Hmm. LA is a great town, but you know, it's funny. There's an expression that somebody told me in show business called falling up. Hmm. I got into situations where each job I got was a little bigger than the last one. Uh, the responsibilities were a little bit greater. I mean, it was, it was awesome. I, I welcomed it, but it got to be intense after a while. And, uh, you know, and when I first got to LA, I was, I was a young man, <laughs> but you know, you're young, you're ambitious, but it was, it was just time to make a change. I thought, all right. Sleeve Los Angeles has been a wonderful ride and uh, relocated to uh, Reno, Reno, Nevada. I've been here, I think, a year and a half. How many days and minutes? No, somewhere around a year and a half. So, yeah, it's been good. Great. And the intent there was to to have more time to do what you wanted to do. 
The intent was to change my life. I haven't really talked about this at all. So this will be a tap in time exclusive. <laughs> yes, just what we like. Exactly. In 2017, I was diagnosed with cancer. Oh. It's weird. It's actually the first time I talked about it. Uh, what happened is my manager, uh, I was working at Apple, my manager was diagnosed. He went through some, it was pretty intense. So I thought, you know, I need to do the responsible thing. I actually need to go get checked out, make sure I'm okay. So I'll go get checked out. He'll say, I'm fine. I'll come back and I'll resume my life. So I go to get the checkup and it's like, the doctor's like, hmm. I'm like, hmm. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. It's probably nothing. I'm just going to schedule you for another test. Oh, all right. That's cool. Doing another test. That doctor, hmm. I'm like, hmm. Again, what is it with this hmm? <laughs> So like, no, no, you're, you're probably okay. I think we just need to uh, schedule a, a biopsy. And I'm like, oh, okay, fine. Uh, do that. He says, you know, come back in uh, a couple of weeks and you know, we'll, we'll put together an appointment and we'll, we'll uh, talk and we'll you know, give you the results. So I thought, you know, fine. So I tell my wife, she's like, wait a minute, something odd's going on. So she says, you know, let's, I want to, I want to be there for that. So I go there and I'm 1000% sure that I am fine. And I walk in and uh, we sit down. He's like, uh, yeah, you have cancer. I'm like, oh, okay. How's that? <laughs> Come again. He's like, yeah, uh, it's, it's early. It's non-life-threatening, but you're going to have to you know, go through a procedure and there's going to be some things that are going to happen. And I'm like, oh, well, my life was so manic at the time that it didn't dawn on me. I just thought, okay, one more thing to put on my to-do list. But at that point, I, I was at least coherent enough to realize, you know, it's probably time to leave Los Angeles. Me and my wife had talked about it for a while. It had been a good ride, but I was at the point to where it's like, you know, at least in my mind, when things like this start happening to you, you need to make a life change. And it, literally for two years, she and I talked about relocating and it's like, all right, this is the right time. That was a really trippy experience in the sense that, like I said, what I had was life-threatening. There was nothing, you know, I was never in that kind of mortal danger. But it's, it's interesting the things that happen when you go into a cancer center. Like you go into a cancer center and everybody's a cancer patient, you know, they give you these yellow wristbands. So you're walking around, you see this sea of people with yellow wristbands. Some of them are walking around, look fine. Some of them are like, you know, no hair. Some of them are on stretchers. Mm -hmm. And everybody makes eye contact. And wow. it's like, you're not black, you're not white, you're cancer patients. Everybody's wow. the same. And everyone's kind of, and it's this weird look that, especially the ones that are really in bad shape, they give you, they, they give you these, these looks like, hey, fight, I'm doing it. And you, that experience, like I said, what I had was not life-threatening, but it changed me in that I'm, I'm going to be able to walk out of here. And I did walk out very slowly, <laughs> very, very humbly, a little bent over, but it changed the way I looked at everything. At the same time, I... My, my wife and I uh, adopted my nephew. It's Entertainment is an incredible business. Uh, I'm grateful for it. I love it. I enjoy it. Uh, and, and that I worked in behind-the-scenes entertainment. But what you do is you're part of a crew of people that create an illusion. And all of a sudden, I'm staring at something that's really real. It's like, wow, I have this, this disease. And this little boy is coming to my life, this little human being. And it was a different experience, you know? So you know, after I went through the procedure, it's like, you got to go out and you got to walk and you got to do physical stuff. You don't want to, but I got this little kid. I think he was like seven or eight at the time. And he's like, Hey, can we go to the park? All right, fine. Yeah, we'll do that. So we'd walk up the street to the park. I'm walking very slowly. And 
it's like two o'clock in the afternoon and you're in Los Angeles, you're at the park. It's a wonderful day. The birds are singing. He's, you know, running around doing stuff, you know, playing the monkey bars. And it's like, why? This is wonderful. Why, why, why did I never do this before? Why did I have to wait till he came into my life and cancer came into my life to go to the park and just sit down and look around? And it, it made me reevaluate everything because if those two things hadn't happened to me, I'd have been working. I'd have been somewhere, somewhere grinding away. And the experience changed everything. My manager ended up getting sicker and uh, he passed away last month. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful guy. And he and I had some heavy conversations uh, in the last month or so. But it changed everything. And this is going to sound really weird, but in some ways that disease was a blessing to me because it reevaluates what you look at as important. And I, I began realizing in those moments, I mean, you know, my family has always been important to me, but it, everything took on a different, a, a different level of importance. And all of a sudden my stick playing, it's like, you know, the only, okay. Now granted, like, again, not life threatening, but you start thinking, you know, everyone says it's not life-threatening, but before the procedure, sign these forms. Well, I have to sign these forms. It's like, well, you know, 1.003% of people have some sort of a side effect. And it's like, well, 0.003, that's, that's got a name on it. Is that name Kevin Keith? So you're kind of mm -hmm. thinking, okay, what if something happens? And, of course, I survive, but for some reason, my pinkies don't work. <laughs> you know, how's that going to affect my playing? Am I going to be able to play? And all of a sudden, the, the the videos that I had online became really important to me because it's like, you know, musically, it's my intention when I first put them up was just to, you know, play stick and put out a video and whatever. But all of a sudden, it's like, well, this is my legacy now. You know, if I can't have my pinkies, this is the last thing I got. So all of a sudden, everything in my life took on a new a new importance. And uh, I talked to the guys at Apple. I told them, hey, you know, I, th I think I want to leave. And they said, no. <laughs> and I said, oh, okay. I mean, they're a great company. But, uh, you know, we, we really did some amazing things at Apple. Uh, and, you know, they asked me, well, can you hang out for a while? I hung out for a while. And I said, okay, I, I, I got to go. And they said, no again. <laughs> and I said, all right, I'll hang out a little bit longer. Then finally we all sat down. I, we just, I just kind of said, you know, this has been an unbelievable job. I mean, it's not that they said no. It's they really believed. Apple's an incredible company. I mean, there's not enough time in the day for me to say how wonderful that organization is. I mean, from... They took care of you. Yeah, everyone is can-do at Apple. Mm -hmm. No one's a pessimist. Everybody is is really, really smart. It, it was unbelievable. So, you know, they really... they really, you know, gave me a lot of time off and just said, hey, you know, we want you to, you want you to be healthy. We'd love to have you back. Mm -hmm. But something changed in me after that. And that I thought, no, it's, it's time to start a new chapter, mm -hmm. you know? And uh, I was excited about that new chapter, you know, because it's, I'm, I'm a weird guy in the sense that, you know, I get these ideas and I decide, okay, it's a new thing. I'll move on. I moved to LA with 400 bucks. Ballsy. 25 years ago, I told myself I was going to survive. And thankful I did. So now it was time to make, uh, make the new move. Thankfully, I had more than 400 bucks. <laughs> 500 bucks. Yeah, exactly. $450.32. 450 bucks. <laughs> and three pesos. <laughs> <laughs> 
But no, uh, me and my wife decided to make the move to Reno because we had never been to Reno, but mm-hmm. we had this like giant checklist of all the things we want in the place we lived. And, you know, one day my wife said, hey, how about Reno? Yeah, I don't know anything about Reno. So we came up to Reno. She had uh, some friends up here, so fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. Came up a couple more times. And on the third visit, we bought a house, which is oh, really weird. like that. Yeah, but it has been unbelievable. It's been an incredible experience. It's one of the greatest things that's happened to me. And the strange thing is that I love Los Angeles. I don't miss Los Angeles, but I love Los Angeles. A lot of people leave Los Angeles, you know, with a bad taste in the mouth. I, I love that city. I'm so grateful for everything that happened there. But this is a new chapter. It's like 24 years in, in corporate entertainment. Now all the cool stuff that I did for other people, I have an opportunity to try to do for myself in the sense of, gee, I've always wanted to build a rig like this. I've always wanted to spend all this time practicing or gee, all the guys I met at Apple Music that were artists or, or DJs, some of the cool things they were doing. Now I can try to sit down and integrate. So it's been wonderful. You know, mm-hmm. I'm really grateful for this, that the things worked out as well as they have. So I know you you're doing it for kevin keith and it's not for apple and it's not for google or anyone really it's really your music and your experience and your message yeah things change as you get older when you're younger when you're young you want the thing you never had Mm -hmm. and and that's money (laughs) you know uh i think that's just part of being young you want money and if i'm being honest a, a lot of young people want power and that power may be, well, I want to be a manager or I want to be, you know, in this situation, in this, uh, even musically, I want to be in this band or, or working with these people. Mm-hmm. You know, as you as you get older, it changes the, the things that are important to you. And, uh, you know, not knocking uh, young people or any of the stuff that I was in my aspirations before. It's just I'm a different part of my life now. Now it's like, you know, I've I want to do music full-time. And I've been lucky. I got a job here with a uh, company that creates video games and which is really strange. I have a uh, reoccurring gig. Well, I did before the pandemic, uh, a reoccurring gig in Lake Tahoe. And uh, there's a really awesome jazz club in downtown Reno called Shims. It's a speakeasy. It's, it's incredible. I've seen some flyers for the gig. And I thought to myself, here's Kevin Keith. He's finally gigging. And then he moves to the, the, the friggin' Nevada. Like, I can't. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it, it's kind of weird because I had to leave LA to be able to do music full time.
Yeah. So, L.A. Yeah. L.A.'s a great town, but the cost of living is... Uh, the challenges of being a full-time musician, the cost of living is aggressive, and the talent pool is unbelievable. Uh, I think the first time I went out to a club in L.A., my cousin lived there, and I asked him, hey, take me to a club in L.A. with some great musicians, because, you know, my whole life I heard about these great players. And you walk in, and you see these guys, and they have, you know, this incredible ability. And none of them know each other, and they're all just reading from charts. And, you know, it's one of these kind of situations where, oh, yeah, the drummer plays with Red Hot Chili Peppers and the bass player, you know, he's or the keyboard player, he's normally out with Sting. All these guys are on these road tours. They come home from these road tours and they, you know, they've been playing commercial tunes for however long the tour's been going. So now they, they want to go to a club and they want to, like, stretch out and really do some things musically. So these guys show up and they look down, you know, in the audience, you know, I'm looking up and, you know, they know who the musicians are. They're like, hey, man, uh, you, you play? Yeah, I play. You want you want a jam? And every jam session I've ever been in, I'm always like, yeah, I'll come up and play. And, and my knee-jerk reaction is, you want a jam? And I just blurted out, no! <laughs> Which I've never... And then I was like, oh, oh, sorry, let me... I said, no, nah, no, nah, I'm good. And, you know, it was it's a different game in L.A. because, hmm. you know, I definitely have confidence about my playing uh, at, at that time as a bass player. But L.A. is really unique in that guys don't show up to rehearsals. They show up to gigs. Yeah. Like I did a couple of gigs when I first got to LA that a buddy hooked me up with where, you know, he's, uh, he hooked me up with these gigs. So I thought, oh, I, you know, I'll try doing some playing on the side. You know, I wasn't super busy when I first arrived in LA. So he puts me together with this one gig and uh, they call me and, and I said, yeah. So when you guys get together and practice, so like, and the first thing he says is, you knew LA, aren't you? I said, yeah. How'd you know? He says, yeah, in LA, you don't get called for rehearsal. You get called for the gig. He said, we're going to meet an hour before the gig in the back of the venue and we're going to have, you know, conversation. We're going to talk to the charts. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I get there and it's like an eight piece band, like girl singer. Is it the, is it the LA Phil? Like, well, yeah, it was, it was weird. I mean, it's like, it, it's like this, this, this funk jazz club in downtown Los Angeles. Uh-huh. And there's like eight of us were behind the, we were behind the, uh, the venue and we, and he passed up these charts and we all got pencils. It's like, okay, on this tune, we're gonna change the intro, blah blah blah. So everyone's making notes on the charts, and I'm I'm looking at this. And I'm like, mm, all right. So we go in there to play, and I'm thinking this is gonna be a mess. To this day, that is the greatest sounding band I have ever played with in my life. I wish everyone I knew could have been at that gig and seen me, cause man, those guys were good. And I mean, at the end of the night, everyone. Get- what was the setup for? I mean, was it eight? Was it a horn section or? There was a girl singer. We were doing like jazz, funk, and Motown tunes. Hmm. And it's like, you know, I, I grew up around that genre. So the tunes I was familiar with, you know, in, in the sense that I'd heard them. So, you know, the, the charts was just a guy track. There was two, uh, two guys, three-piece horn sect, section, two keyboard players, guitar. I was playing bass, drummer, this unbelievable girl singer. How many, how many does that equal? Is that eight yet? <laughs> five six yeah geez like yeah. two keyboardists yeah and it was players, yeah and, she, and she's turned around you know bam break it down and pow everybody comes i mean it sounded like we had played together our whole lives wow everybody was just reading out for each other and i'm like this la thing is unbelievable and at the end of the gig everyone gets paid and everyone vanishes like a mob hit <laughs> you know and i'm like and I'm driving home completely perplexed. Like that was the greatest band I ever played in. And I don't even remember anyone's name. Wow. So interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That was the thing I began realizing about LA and that you have to be able to read. Hmm. 
And, and that's, that's kind of the barrier between a lot of guys in Los Angeles. I, I can read, thankfully I was classically trained, but in some situations, the reading gets intense. And again, these guys are on the fly, you know, they're going through jazz charts, they're doing aggressive stuff. And on the fly, they're like, Hey, let's play this tune, but let's change the arrangement like this. And let's take it up a step and a half. And uh, whoa, no, I, I got to go home and I'll be back, <laughs> but there's not that option. Yeah. You know, so I began realizing, okay, you have to play a lot and you have to be very comfortable with that. And at the same time, my day job, like I said, I uh, studied electronics years ago. So my day job was in uh, technical support for uh, the arts. You know, I was doing like stuff for film and worked for a big console company uh, called Neve when I first, most people have heard of Neve. I worked for Neve when I first arrived. And that career started exploding. So it kind of diverted me away from music, not away from music. You're always around it, but your, your day gig is not that. So it was, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I've I'm gone completely off on a tangent, but yeah, it was, no, uh, it's, it's what we were hoping for, you know, and it's, it's tangents are awesome. Oh, um, we, we love tangents. I, oh. I was gonna say, um, <laughs> wow, Kevin, I had no idea you had been through all that. And I'm very thankful. I guess I'll say that you got through all that. Um, yeah. so yeah. Wow. Um, sounds like you've had so many life changes, some of them a choice, some of them kind of required. <laughs> oh yeah. Could you tell us like, what you, it, it sounds like you're in a better place though, from what you're saying and, and maybe the, that choice of being in Reno and, and kind of doing what you want to do. Can, can you give us a hint of like, what's, what's your life like these days? What, what do you, what are you doing? What's a day in the life of, of yeah. Kevin? Day in the life of Kevin Keith. Well, let's see. Start off the day normally with getting ambushed by a 10-year-old boy. <laughs> <laughs> and this is Gage, right? Yeah, Gage, my little man. He's got these Nerf guns. This guy's a <laughs> wicked aim. <laughs> you know, and he, he watches these, you know, he got these YouTube for kids apps. So he watches this video call. I don't know what, I guess it's this group of kids. They call themselves Sneak Attack Squad. So... <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course, completely unknown to me that he's been tuning into Sneak Attack Squad. He comes up, Sneak Attack Squad, and he's got these these Nerf guns that he got for his birthday. And it's like, they're like assault weapons, you know, and they, there's no reloading. You just keep firing away and you just keep pelting Uncle Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of the start of the day. From there, I move on to uh, walking outside, you know, trying to calm my nerves from the assault. No. You know, act is pretty chill. I get up, go for a walk, exercise, breakfast, hang out with the kid a little bit. He's he's awesome. He's one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. Uh, him and his sister, and they're incredible. And from there, I'll uh, hit the music room and and practice for hours, or just say, you know what, this is I want to write something, and there's a new sound I want to go for. So I'll just sit and you know, play games with my rig. Like, see, there's this thing I did for this one guy before he went on a road tour years ago. Let me try this on sticks. So it's, there's all this time to experiment now. There's create videos, write everything. It's been so freeing that I've had to discipline myself because I'll walk into a room and just float around and have fun forever and then walk out and go, what did I accomplish? Anything? So I've told myself when I first got here, it's like, okay, you need Let's just focus mainly on playing stick. So I, I just started working on fundamentals. I thought, you know, let's just build a set where it's just you, a drum track, uh, you on stick, a drum track, and vocals. 
So uh, I said, you know, let's do that and let's let's gig for a year and get get that under your belt. You know, really tighten up your chops. So that was uh, that was last, that was the first year we arrived. I did that, you know, and it was awesome. Had a gig in Lake Tahoe, and in Reno, I mean, the people people here are so 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 awesome, you know. And the majority of them have never seen the stick. So it's this. I mean, you know, as a stick players, you know, that's the interesting about L.A. L.A. is the stick capital world. I mean, I, I remember one time walking down the street in Hollywood with my stick in my hand. This homeless guy's passed out. And he's like, "Hey, like, yeah, is that a Chapman stick?" And I'm like, <laughs> "Yes, it is." And he's, "Was he like, is it full baritone or classic tuning?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, "What's your tuning, bro?" <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's like, "I saw him at Chapman in 1979, and this, and that, and the other." And then he starts rambling about, you know, oh, the government, you know, potato salad or something. So, but we for, for a moment we had we had a connection. That's amazing. But yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, in Reno, it's like no one's seen the sticks. So it's people have been really receptive. I mean, they're they're like, man, we love to get you. You know, come back and play. And you know, it's that's been overwhelming. Mm-hmm. You know, because, you know, as, as a musician, you get these ideas in your head and you think that would be cool, but you don't know if anyone else is going to get it. I mean, they may look at it and go, hey, that's awesome. They may look at it and go, whoa, I, I wouldn't do that for anybody anywhere. You know, so thankfully, it's kind of worked out for the positive. So that's been good. I, I think that's such a big part of stick playing. And, and, and sometimes I, I forget about it, but you need people to kind of enable you because. Yes. So much of what you're doing is like, I've never done this before and I'm now doing this in front of people or, yeah. you know, cause I spend like hours and Claire, you probably know what I'm talking about, where you just spend like hours, like on a compressor, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's not right. it doesn't feel right. It's peaking in this, it's peaking on this string, but not that string. And now that's now I'm into the intonation and now the, the, the cable's funny. I need a new cable. It's just this wild digression. And finally, when you do get in front of people and finally able to play, it's taken me like weeks to get here. And they're like, Hey, do you know this song? And you're like, who are you? Don't you know? Don't, like, don't you see how my compression is working on my bass? Come on. <laughs> I, I think that's an interesting thing where like, I know I started to digress from Kevin here, but like no. the, the stick is one of those things where it, it seems overwhelmingly positive response. You know, even people yes. that have no clue what it is, they're, they're interested. They're not like, yes. I don't know what that thing is, so I'm going to walk away. No, they they come up and they ask, right? It's not like, this is a horrifying thing and I'm going to go. It kind of engenders interest. Um, and it sounds like you're yes. getting a lot of interest in... So so you're playing out a bunch in Reno, is what you're telling us. Yeah. And, you know, awesome. that's, that's a very good point you make. I mean, I normally start out my set, each set saying, hey, my name is Kevin, this is a stick. Here's how it works. Because you have to, I feel like you got to give them that indoctrination. It's like a game show. Hey, welcome to the game show. Here's how it works. We spin the wheel and then the ball falls down. <laughs> you know, you got you to get that little intro. So I was telling them, here's how it works. So I play very slow one-handed. I can play, you know, I don't have to strum with the right hand. I can just touch and I play a bass line. Then, you know, same thing. And now with melody hand, I play this. And now let's play it together. And then when you play both hands together, you hear people in the audience. Oh. <laughs> and, and, and it reminds you, you know what? This instrument is cool. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and it's like, okay, I'm going to play. And then you start playing and it's like people hang out and they have all these questions. And they're like, wow, that's a really cool instrument. Can I take a picture of you? And I'm like, yeah, there's just my, you know, issue my low fee. No. <laughs> but yeah, it's... uh it's 50 bucks, right? Like 50 exactly, bucks. Exactly, exactly. It's 45. <laughs> small, small fee. 
Oh, your, your husband wants to be in it too. Oh, that's another 30 bucks. <laughs> 50, <we're back> <laughs> <laughs> that's the group right now. No, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's really, I mean, the owner of the club himself is, is come in and with his wife and watch the set, you know, which is like, it's really awesome. And at the same time, it's like, okay, don't, don't suck tonight. <laughs> yeah. I, but yeah, I, I spent a lot of time, at least with live stuff when I was doing event stuff is, is so much of it is in the recovery. You know, so much of it is, is, is like, I don't plan to fail, but what I do plan to do is to keep playing. And that yeah. has been the one thing that I found in a live performance is, is, is like, that's, that's not just playing a stick. That's just musicianship. And probably with those seven other people that you yeah. were playing with, it's just like, don't stop. Look at the person next to you, catch the one, you know, remind yourself, what cam in, like, just, just don't stop. And I remember my drummer, I played in a trio and, you know, like we, we had a lot of dynamics between the three of us, but I remember him saying to me, don't just stop because you're like the bassist and you're the other half. You might be only a third of the band, but you're like half of me. So as the rhythm section, like we need to establish stuff. And all of, if I, all of a sudden a conversation, you just put your hands over your eyes, people would be like, why are you just hiding your eyes all of a sudden? I'm still talking to you, but you're not looking at me, you know? And so it's yeah. just, one of those experiences that you get as a musician. And there were a couple of times when, and I think that the most challenging ones for me were the technical ones because I would have to like circumvent a pedal or a configuration. And that's when you really find out not just a musician, but like a professional musician, because now you're playing like everyone else is like, Hey, it sounds fine. You're like, I'm playing without reverb though. And like, it's bumming me out. I'm like, I'm not, it doesn't make me feel a certain way. And now I'm not inspired. Now it's changed my playing. Absolutely. You know what it is with stick? It's as a player, especially in the early days, I know I went through this. You get so fixated on, I cannot make a mistake. You know? Yeah. The, the first gigs, or for me, the first year of gigs, it's really funny looking back on it because you're playing along and you hear like a serious clinker and it's like, I'm on the wrong fret. And then it's like, which hand? <laughs> and then you move one. That ain't the one. <laughs> yeah, they're both wrong. Yeah. Like but now they match. They modulated and they match. <laughs> yeah. Now it's like, oh my I should have stayed in architecture school. Right? I just think. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's years ago I did a gig with Bob Culbertson and I'm watching Bob and Bob is Bob. I mean, he's just torching away and he's super humble as you know, we, you know, Bob is at the end of the night, I walk up to him. I'm like, Bob, man, you're, you're incredible. You, you never make mistakes. And he smiles at me and he leans over to my ear and he goes, you don't know how the song is supposed to go. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'll never forget that moment. I thought, you know what? That's a very good point. Just smoking weird, right? Smoking weird. You're kidding me? Yeah. I mean, you know, Bobby's, you know, he's, he's a great player, you know. But it's still, it, it made a very interesting point. And I, and I really embrace it as a stick player. I was like, you know, if you make a mistake, just, you know, you're right. Keep going. But for me, it's sometimes like, well, play the same mistake again. Now it's not a mistake. Now it's a part. Well, now you're a jazz <laughs> you know? musician. Exactly. Because <laughs> intentional. Like, like that's yeah. being able to, to, to make that part of the song. I, I mean, 
Yeah. yeah, I'd agree. Like that—that is—that is the true kind of wizardry of of jazz in particular, because it's like, well, that's what I felt in that moment, and yes. now that is the melody. A- absolutely, absolutely. I intended to make that mistake, and I intend to make ten more just like it. <laughs> it's not a mistake; it's a tonal shift. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tension. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Modulate. So get down into the weeds with us with recording. Like when you do finally get around to recording, let me ask you this. Like, what, would you have some recommendations for recording? Because you know, we've been talking about getting, you know, like it's the cable, it's the compressor, I need new strings. Like, what actually do you use? Or what would you recommend for like stick players at, at, at any level to like find a way to express themselves with this instrument? You know, really good question. And this is, it's funny because this is one of the toughest ones when you're first starting out playing because this stick doesn't really have a roadmap. I mean, it does, but you know what I mean? It's not like guitar which existed for gazillions of years. For me recording, the biggest thing I've found is, and this is a, this is a, seemingly obvious one but it's not always separate outputs with a compressor on the base on on, on the bass side just set lightly to compress like it's a bass and on the melody side run it through like a chorus box just a little bit of a chorus because then when you play the instrument the two different sounds pull away from each other and that's when it opens up and you start getting really wide the thing about stick that's really cool is that it's one instrument and it's three instruments at the same time. So yeah, I'll put effects sometimes on just two strings. Like I had a video keep on keeping on, uh, it's on YouTube. There's another one I did. It's a recent shorter thing where it's, uh, what is that? Do over. It's like a short version of do over. I'm playing, I'm singing. And, uh, on do on uh, do over. I have like this, uh, I thought, you know what, I want to go like a bluesy kind of like Hendrix kind of a thing in the melody side. But on the bass side, I want to be just straight bass. And when you play, it's like the two sounds pull away from each other, just like when you listen to a bass player and a guitar player. And when I say pull away, I don't mean they go in different directions as a sound right. It's wider. It's bigger. It's a dimension thing. You know, and the interesting thing about stick is that normally it takes two people to get that. You know, at least two musicians playing two different instruments. With stick, you can do it by yourself. So it's a completely different way of thinking because historically there's never been a string instrument that could do that. And and there still isn't, you know? So that was a lot of it for me. I I began like breaking out of the mold, trying to break the mold of what I thought the stick was and break away from the mold of what I thought the stick was and more go down the road of stick, you tell me what you are. (laughs) You know, it sounds crazy, but... Sometimes you start playing, you realize, you know, that'd be cool if like these two notes had this one special sound, which is one of the main reasons I, I get uh, synth pickups. Oh, man. Because I can isolate strings for effects and it pulls, it, it pulls the sound in different directions. I will never forget the, the first Treehands Academy when you were saying that you had that maple or it's like that classic 34 inch scale one that you have. It's oh, that, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's getting yeah, it right, I got now. It right like, over here. I remember this one. 
Yeah, with the with the silver tuners, yes. and it's probably got the, the first generation yeah, kind man. of. Um, it, does it have rods or rails? Uh, I think it was rods. Yeah, yeah. Rods came. Rods preceded rails, I think. Yeah. Are they rounded or is it pointed? Whatever came first, that's what it has. Okay, wow. Okay, so this is this is yeah. They're so rounded, but but I remember that you had it through the rods. This, yeah, this mini rig, yeah, and then you were explaining it. Were you changing the tuning on some of them, or you were, or you were only using specific effects on specific strings? No, I think I think that's an important point that I'd love to hear how Kevin is doing what he's doing because I think a lot of people don't understand what what the capabilities are with some of these yeah. gadgets when you have the divided pickup, they think MIDI and that's all they're thinking about. And it actually does a lot more when you think that it basically means each string has a pickup and the sort of the Roland and boss devices that, that affect those do a lot. So I'd love to hear from you, Kevin, what, what you're setting up, maybe a little more specifics about what it's actually doing. Sure. All right. Here's a big secret. I mean, technically, you're supposed to hang on to these things and covet them, but I, I want to throw this out in community because I think it's important. <laughs> when I first started playing stick, I sat down and I figured out all the left hand chords, minors, minor sevens, at least the ones I'd use the most, majors, minors, minor sevens, suspensions, etc. And I wrote them all down, made my own little chord book, which I still have to this day. And on stick, you got your five bass strings. The three lowest bass strings are always the tonic when I play a chord. The, the tonic's going to fall on, like if I play a C major seven in my left hand, one of those three string, strings is going to get the C. That's without exception. So that means that the two highest strings are always playing the inside notes of the chord. Well, if that's the case, and again, I'm a bass player, it's like I want the bass line to be separate from the other thing. So I got Roland synth pickups because I've been using them for bass guitars and guitars and stuff anyway. I thought with a Roland synth pickup, I can take those two strings and I can put a different effect on them. And when you do that, the sky opens. I don't mean it sounds really cool. I don't mean, ooh, that's neat. I mean, the sky opens. It changes everything. You play with one hand and you're like, whoa. At the same time, it's rolling synth electronics. And this is stuff that I've done. Uh, when I was in LA, I've spent some time building out rigs for guys that are going to do records, that are going to do concerts. And a lot of guys are looking for new stuff or strange stuff. So I make a lot of just suggestions. And I've seen some, I've seen and built some really cool things. So I began taking it further. It's like, okay, well, I got these two strings isolated. I can put different effects on them. Well, let's, let's just do MIDI. Let's do only on these two strings. There is a tune I have on YouTube called Run. It's an audio-only version. If you listen to that tune, that is me playing stick live. Nothing's overdubbed. I'm playing along with a drum machine, and you're hearing like, I mean, there's a sampler that's being triggered, and there's like Oz coming in, and there's all these effects. I am prouder of that tune than I think anything I've ever done from a technical standpoint, because that was, Run was the culmination of all these technical experiments. And I thought, okay, technically this should work. If I do this, if I put this here, if I plugged it there, and when I played the instrument, because I mean, you can, you can say technically this should work, but at the end of the day, you should be able to play the instrument and you should not have to augment your playing. It should just work. You know, you shouldn't have to, oh, well, you got to hit this one a little bit softer. You got to, no, 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 that doesn't work. You have to be able to play organically. And when I, when I grabbed the instrument and I played that sound that is now that song run, it was like, oh my God. Do you have MIDI on both sides then? Do you have MIDI on the melody and the bass side? 
Nah. Don't need it. Don't need no melody set. Only do the bass side. And and that's funny because people always ask, you have MIDI on the bass side? I'm like, I do. <laughs> and 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 they're and everyone's perplexed on that. And they're like, why would you do I that? I am perplexed on that. <laughs> it's like, here's the thing: your left hand is the band. That's right. And and I'm a bass player. It's like everything to me is about the pocket and everything is about the groove and that foundation. So I've spent more time learning my left hand than any of the others. So it's like, it's not just the baseline. It's everything that happens within that hand, the chords and everything. So that hand has to sound like the entire band. It's got a pocket with the drummer. There's got to be a line. It's got to be a groove. Uh, that's why if you listen to like, uh, even I, I think I have a video of uh, Avenida Atlantica on the web. It's the same thing. If you listen to the highest two strings, they're slightly distorted and they're split in stereo. So when you have on headphones, you know, that riff is, that riff is like, with a dat, dat, all of a sudden you hit that and it splits into both ears. And it's like, what just happened? It just emotionally feels really good. And it's only one handed playing. So now you get your other hand to, I'm not going to say I've never needed MIDI on the right hand, but on the right hand, on the right hand, and the melody, man, you can, that's your melody side. You can run that through distortion boxes and wah pedals and phasers. I mean, you can go all day. It's just, you're limited only by your imagination. It's the right hand, because the right hand is the band. And that was one of the trickiest things I learned how to, that I had to develop technically is that I want different ensembles in my right hand. Like for this song, I may want these two strings to be different and I want them to have this sound. But for the next song, I want all five strings to be the same, but I want this to happen. And I want to be able to hit a button and move from sound to sound to sound. I don't want to turn around with my butt sticking up in the air and I'm twiddling knobs. I don't want to do that. You know, so it took, it took time to develop a rig that would do that because it doesn't exist. And uh, that worked well. You hear it in uh, the video I have on Keep On Keeping On. There's, there's a very different sound on certain strings. It became a popular thing because it just kind of works. Some songs I don't use it because it can it can be too much. Some songs you want them to sound more unplugged. And the organic sound of the stick is, oh my God, a marvel of its own. So you want to include that as, you know, your arsenal, as repertoire, you know? There's so many different ways of approaching the instrument. And it's so exciting to hear, like, the Kevin Keith method. Because I love how those higher registers cross over. And the, the way that I perceive that, um, and I don't want to step too far away from the MIDI because I, Claire's yeah. already, I know she's got questions, <laughs> but uh, it feels like open strings. And I agree with you that the left hand is the band. And I've always thought of the first finger as kind of the bassist and that the third and the fourth finger are kind of like the rhythm accompaniment, you know, like they're playing the thirds and the sevens and things like that. And occasionally, you know, you'll play that first inversion that's so easy to play. It's kind of like that E major kind of shape. And it's so gratifying that when you move up a whole step to then, you know, to move from that like G first inversion to like C or something like that, it just feels like, oh, it feels yeah. so good. But uh, it's fascinating to hear how you've embraced that in a different way. And so you've made it not just like the right hand, but you've made it like a third sound, like you're saying, it's that third voice. And we did a Freehands Friday on the third voice, and that's that. It's not the left hand, it's not the right hand. Sometimes it's kind of sleight of hand. Yeah. Wow. First hand, left hand, right hand, sleight of hand. Right? That was Absolutely. beautiful, Gene. Wow. <laughs> that was so, beautiful. So it's, it's like a, a big reverb. <laughs> a rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we it's made that up. So, um, 
Claire uses you use MIDI on both sides, right? Kind of. I mean, I have I have the pickups on both sides. Um, I I have some ideas of things I'd like to do, and I did a lot of it with my masters. And so I'm kind of going back now, trying to develop more of that. So so part of the thing for me, and that's why it's cool to hear from Kevin what he's doing is that, like you said, it sounds like he's basically turning his bass side into bass and rhythm section, and then that leaves that leaves the melody to do whatever else he wants. So that's really like in a musical kind of sense, that's really cool. And and for me, like the tech is great, but if the end result isn't musical, yeah. then it's pointless. And I, yep. I'm personally still working on getting to the music bit with like, I have ideas of tech in my head, but I need to kind of vet through them to end up at the musical result that I'm looking for. So it's, I remember at that free hands when, when you were describing what you were doing and you're only mostly kind of doing certain strings and, and it's adding sort of a, yeah, yeah. It, it's just such a cool implementation. Um, which, which device are you using currently to do that? Oh my God. Is that like the, one of the VG or VB? I'm pretty sure you've been through a bunch of them, but what, what are you currently using to do that? All of the above. You know, I'm in my studio right now, and as we speak <laughs> in my studio, is every of the VG systems in this room right now is every VG system ever made. Yeah. Wow. I have them all for bass and guitar, the nice. V bass, the SY99, the. Uh, I have an SY300, and that's about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, have, I have them all because it's like. I'm a gear junkie and oh my God, I got into technology around the same time I started playing instruments. I started learning how to program since when I was about 16 years old. So my problem is I download the PDF manuals of these and I'm like, Hey, wait a minute. Can I link LFO to this? I can't. Well, I have to have it. <laughs> you know, so I, Cause in my yeah. mind, it's like, if I can do this, then that means I can, attach it in this way creatively because it clear, you, you just nailed it. It's like the tech has to make sense uh, again. And like I said earlier, I can't like when synth guitar first came out, I saw guys augmenting their playing to make MIDI work. And with me, I'm like, no, 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 no. You follow me. I don't follow you. You know? So I love MIDI, but for me, when I use MIDI with stick, okay, there's tracking errors in, in MIDI. And uh, there's latency. There's always going to be. It is never going to get fixed. So don't use a sound that needs to play right away. Play something that fades in. Voices, strings, pads. If it's late, it doesn't matter. If it's late, it sounds better. You know? And if you miss the wrong note, you can switch notes and the tracking error will be forgiving. It's like, oh, I thought I was going to play that note, but now you move, so I'm not going to trigger it. Now I trigger the other one. It's like, Excellent. <laughs> Tom, Tom G had Tom Greasegraber had had made some comments about that, and that is is that it becomes an instrument unto itself, and like don't fight it, don't be blue about it. Like th- that's the new instrument is the MIDI yes. implementation of it. This is is play it as it lays, kind of. Yes. For who play bridge, you just got to play it as it lays, and that's the way the that's the way it works. A- absolutely. You know, on that note. My favorite musician of all time is Jimi Hendrix. And a lot of people think, oh, well, Hendrix, yeah. But it's not for the reasons that you would think. Jimi Hendrix is my favorite musician of all time because I think he's the most innovative musician in my mind. I mean, okay, that's a a dangerous statement because there's a lot of innovative players out there. But the thing that made Jimi's innovation special was that Jimi based his entire style on the things the guitar was not supposed to do. Like... (laughs) 
when Jimmy first started playing guitar, it wasn't even called really electric guitar. It was called amplified guitar. And it was amplified because guitar played in big bands, but you couldn't hear it. So we needed it amplified so it plays, so the horns, you can play it, you can hear it against the horns and everybody else. Well, the whole thing with that was it had to be clean. So they made these big, powerful amplifiers that can't distort. And you didn't have whammy bars back then. You had the old tremolo arms. And it was a thing where you just kind of, uh, it was a gentle, you know, it's a gentle tremolo. Also, you didn't want the guitar to feed back. So we started going from, okay, we don't want the guitar to feed back because that's bad. So let's go from uh, hollow body designs to solid body designs. Jimmy's whole style was like feedback. It's not supposed to do that. You know, we, we spent a lot of money to not make it do that. Distortion. It's not supposed to do that. The whammy bar. You're not supposed to. You're not supposed to be doing these huge dive bombs. This guy based his whole style on letting the instrument do what it did. And it's like, you know what? That was kind of cool. He found the boundary. I feel like he, he, he found the boundary of it. And he was kind of like, kind of like you're saying, you like read the manual. It's like, well, it can do that. And you know, that, that extended into his recording processes as well with mixing things and doubling things and using these kind of old school chorusing, you know, where it was like, he's taking two tracks and he's mixed, he's playing them at the same time, slightly off, or he's using backward things. And I think that that was, I mean, that's kind of the same era in which the stick was allowed to kind of come into existence. Absolutely. Were you getting around to that tonight? Like, (laughs) as as you're talking about it, I'm like, that sounds like Emmett Chapman, you know, like he's kind of pushing the boundary. Yeah. The cool thing about Emmett and his idea with the stick is that the goal is to master the stick, but the goal was never to control the stick. Okay, that sounds weird. It sounds like an oxymoron, but it's like I'm the I'm the kind of person where if I'm playing and I make a mistake or or something happens and it sounds cool, it's no longer a mistake. I have to now learn that mistake and implement it as part of my technique. That's how playing slap happened. One day my I hadn't cut my thumbnail and it got hung up under a string. When it came up, it pulled the string with it. When it came back, it made this sound that was cool to me. So it's like I want to be able to do that at a moment's notice. Not like, oh, I got to cut my nails because I can't have that. It's like, no, no, no. That was cool. That was a sound the instrument is capable of. So now you need to train yourself to be able to make that sound at a moment's notice. You know, we spend so much time buying all these things to make our instrument not do stuff. I don't want you to do this. I'm going to tie this little thing around here because I don't want you to feedback. Let it go a little crazy. Okay, now granted, yes, there are parameters where it has to be a playable instrument, but Sometimes, you know, playable is playable is up to you. What do you want it to do? So I, I've tried to kind of go with that, you know, just try to find, you know, what are you capable of? You know, mm-hmm. what instrument you tell me? And, and it's in those moments, like when my thumb got hung under that I found out, wow, you're capable of something I didn't know you were capable of. So I need to learn that. And I'm still trying to, to go down that road. So To, to find that boundary. To find new, yeah, it's, everything is about a palette of sounds, you know, like the stuff I watch on YouTube is, is very different than I think people would expect. Like I was, uh, there's a YouTube channel called Candy Rat Records, been around forever. It's all these like acoustic guitar players and they're all phenomenal and they all use like alternate tunings and they're doing the whole thing where they're slapping and doing these rhythms. But you watch these guys and it's like, you know, it's, it's basically the Michael Hedges stuff taken to a whole nother level, you know? And, uh, boy, when he, did, when he passed, we lost a great one. 
it, it's it's people that can take an instrument and utilize all these sounds that you didn't know it was capable of. You know, now you got guys creating rhythms. And I watch Candy Rat because I always want to see if, first off, I like the compositions. I love the players. But I want to see if I've missed something as a musician. Is there a sound that a string can make that I'm not aware of? Because I, if there is, because, it, it again, it's like reading that manual and finding out there's an LFO that can be trolled. It's like, well, wait a minute. If it can do that, I have to have it. I have to learn that. I have to figure out a way to do it. I have to do it on a moment's notice. Uh, yeah, the slap thing was a big one. That was a really tricky thing because the upside is it's a really fun way to play, and it's unbelievable what you can do with a stick. Uh, the back, I don't want to say the backlash. I'll say the challenge is, is that as stick players, you have to create these techniques yourself. I, I know in my, in my case I have because it's, you know, it's not like guitar. Guitar's been around for hundreds or thousands or however many years it's been. But, you know, it takes, it takes time to get to. There was a post where guys were talking about that on uh, the stick forum where guys were, somebody was saying, gee, as stick players, you know, we got to do better. We got to take it further. And I'm like, well, I don't know if so much we have to do better. It's like, it took us hundred, hundreds of years to, to get to Eddie Van Halen. So, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's interesting what you say about creating your own technique. And so much of it lies in like what, and I ask this people a lot in my career where I'm like, when you close your eyes, like, what does it look like? You know, tell me yeah. like, without saying like, because it can do that, I want it to do that. Rather, this is my vision. I want to play in a trio. I want to play in a quintet. I want it to sound like this. I want to be able to do that. And I've found that when stick players kind of take that approach, anyone takes that approach. They're just they're setting themselves up for success because I lose a lot of time, a lot of kind of heat in the wires, if you will, just trying to make something happen as opposed to stepping back and saying, I need to write a song. I need to write a three minute song. I need to write a three minute song that is, you know, this, you know, and, 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 and because of that, it, I have more success with learning other people's music. And so hence song of the week, hence, you know, the stuff with TikTok and things like that, just because it allows me to, gives me like boundaries. And so um, with the Chapman stick, it, it's interesting how stick players come to the instrument and have a certain expectation. But I think Emmett's kind of fought me on this one and maybe he's right but maybe I'm right too, or maybe we're both right. But that is, you know, there's these intellectuals and, and, um, and he's like, not all Chapman stick players are intellectuals. And I'm like, really? He's like, no, <laughs> <laughs> he didn't say anything like, you'd be surprised. Or anything. He's like, he's like, no, there's, there's different, there's all these kind of, he, he, I can't, I wish I could remember the way he, he put it so eloquently. There's like these kind of outliers, these people on the fringe of music, you know, and, and, and they don't want to be told what to do, you know, or they, or they want to use it. It's like, this instrument is just like the rest of my life. It's something that's different. I've never approached it a certain way. And so he, he loves that loss of control. He wants yes. to play with bombastic drummer. He wants to play with like, where it's just like teetering on feedback and, 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 and using the instrument or finding a new way to create music. And that, that was for him the the whole idea sunlight 
night must have been in my eyes The day I turned and walked away I left you and now I realize that I made A big mistake that day I thought eventually you'd leave my mind It would be better this way Now I know that I was living a lie every day Now I know that it's too late I wish I could turn back the hands of time Now I see what could have been I wish I knew then all that I know now I wanna do over, I wanna do us over again Kevin, tell us about your experience with the rail board. The rail board. Emmett called me one day when I lived in Los Angeles. He says, hey, I got an idea and I got something I want to show you. And he calls me periodically. And I, I'm, to say I feel honored is not even the, even the word. So I'm like, yeah, man, I'll come over whenever you want. So I call him on the day of, and uh, he says, yeah, I want to see this. He says, but I got this stick and it's made out of metal. And I'm thinking, no, I don't know. <laughs> That's, uh, That's okay. Awesome. Let's see what you got. But you know, Emmett, Emmett's a visionary. And the thing about a visionary is that, you know, being a visionary seems great 20 years later, but in the moment, a lot of times people don't understand. So I go over and uh, he shows me the railboard prototypes and I put it in my hand and I immediately got it because it's, you know, it dawned on me, every instrument I ever played in my life was not perfect. Uh, because you know they're they're made of organic materials, which is great. But there's always a little something, and the instrument is constantly changing and evolving over time because it's made of organic materials. The rail board is a perfect instrument that is frozen and cast as a perfect instrument, and that was wow. really odd to me. There are like no wolf tones in it as I moved up and down the the, the fretboard. There were no strange things. There were no dead spots. I mean, all the things that are standard and even the finest instruments, it didn't have. And I was, I thought it was genius. I thought it was brilliant. You know, so I, I immediately just fell in love with it. And I have large hands. The scale of the rail board really works well for my hands. I found for me, I played more accurately on it. It was, it, it just worked for me, you know? Mm -hmm. I, I just love it. Now, what about recording with the R block? Has that been a different experience than with like with the EMGs in the in the past? The R block has been different in that I, I still use my uh, my wooden stick we that we were talking about a little bit earlier has uh, the EMG block. I still go back and forth and use the two instruments because the R block, the way the filters work and the way it's tuned, I can get different types of sounds out of it. And it's, again, it's another one of those things of, you know, let the instrument guide you. Mm. So it's really helped me a lot in like bluesy stuff. And when I'm trying to, you know, when I want harmonics to pop and certain things to happen, it, it's just great for that. You know, so it, it allows me a different type of freedom to do things like uh, that one tune I have uh, do over. It, it just works for that. Mm. You know, like, like on a level that I, I just haven't been able to get before. I mean, the other instruments work. But again, it was one of those kind of things where I plug it in I, and I run it through the effects and I turn it on and the sky just kind of opens, you know, for me. So it's like, okay, well, clearly this, this works. So that, yeah, that's, that has been a huge plus. Yeah. I love hearing the, 
the percussive your your percussive approach is yeah. so fundamentally rooted in like funky bass and i feel it and yeah. when the melody parts do finally come in it really does feel like is there somebody off to the side of the stage i'm not quite sure because <laughs> and and isolating those the rest of the band if you will you know like yeah. the way you you've you've imagined the sound and how you want it to sound it i could get it and i can feel it and it's so now so do you have midi in the the left side with the railboard as well oh yeah oh yeah uh yeah i i order all my sticks with with midi like the first time i play them like the railboard uh the first railboard i got was a prototype so it, naturally it didn't have midi and then uh the second railboard that, that which I absolutely love, uh, the black one that I still own to this day. Emmett put MIDI on that one from day one. And it was, it's just, I, I've never looked back. Wow. It's, it's an incredible instrument. So cool. Yeah. It's, oh man, I'm sorry. I'm just bumbling thinking about <laughs> it. You're gushing. You're oh, gushing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love it. So, um, there's a ton of questions. Claire will have to have Kevin back. Don't you think? I mean, it's just. This is, yeah, we got to, I think, wrap up at some point. Um, we, didn't, we didn't even talk about France, right? We didn't <laughs> talk about like selling the Strat and the, and the jazz bass or the P bass, whatever it was. Yeah. I have all these, these memories of our, our time, the first the time the three of us were together at the Freehands Academy in 2013. The, just the hearing your experience and truly being inspired by it because for someone in music, just kind of on the fringe of music, it, it's so inspiring to hear. And, and now this kind of second chapter, if you will, where it's like, we've been recording other people's music for a long time now, and now it's time to record Kevin's music. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to do this. I really appreciate just your support and uh, yours, Claire, as a community support for my playing, because in my mind, I don't know why I'm here. I, I don't see myself as a prominent stick player. I'm just one more guy with a weird idea about how this this instrument should go. And like I said, some days I don't, I don't know if it's going to make sense to anyone other than me, hmm. you know, but it's, it's nice when, you know, people ask questions, they'll say, Hey, I, I like that thing you did. And it's like, are you sure? <laughs> and you know, June, you said, you know, your playing is, you know, rooted in bass. I said, yeah, well, the bass is more, I don't know if it's rooted, but it's rude. <laughs> <Nothing> <laughs> Sometimes rude bass is to the best. Yeah, yeah. man. <laughs> just no get manners. up in your grill and like no manners here's, here's the groove <laughs> so claire i hope you won't mind me asking uh have we have we covered everything or, or is there anything that we've left out that we need to, to touch on i don't think we can cover everything i mean that's just not possible <laughs> i mean hopefully we, we covered a lot so it was great to have kevin with us so so interesting to hear kind of your more recent story. I'm so excited for you for what you're doing now. And it sounds like you're in a great place. So really happy for you. Um, and looking forward to what comes next. So yeah, I think, okay. uh, yeah, well, thank then, you so much. Let, I mean, me ask, uh, let me ask one more question if I may. And that is, well, it's kind of about the community, I guess, you know, we, uh, we, we throw that word around a lot here. Like, in, in lieu of everything that's going on in the world, like what is the stick community? How, like, what does it mean to you? Or, or what does it mean to be a stick player? I guess, I suppose that's kind of a nice way to kind of close out the session. Being a stick player to me is incredibly special because, because of the timing of when 
I, we, all of us started playing. It's like, you know, there's that, there's that famous painting of the last supper, hmm. you know, and Jesus is in the middle. That's us, but it's Emmett in the middle. It's like, we're that first generation of stick players. I mean, it sounds crazy, but it's like, I saw an interview with a guy who takes, who took all these famous photographs of like the stones and Hendrix and Clapton. And somebody asked him, he said, what was it like to be in the studio with all these greats? And you took pictures of the Beatles. He's like, they weren't that big of a deal when I was taking the pictures. He says, now everyone's like, whoa, you got all, he says, they, they all became iconic. That's how it is with us. It's like, People are going to look back one day and and say, "Dude, you knew Emma Chapman. You know, you you went to his house and you talked." And it's like well, we're just hanging out at the time, but it's like you know he's he's an iconic figure, you know. And Bob Culbertson, Greg Howard, all these guys are iconic figures. They were the they were the first generation of stick players. I mean, I really, I mean, I look at the things that Greg Howard has has, has achieved. I mean, this guy in a lot of ways paved the road that I got to walk on. Yeah. You know, Bob was the same, Steve Adelson, the same Don Schiff, the stuff that he was doing. It's like, oh, I got a chance to be part of that first generation mm-hmm. with these purely by accident. You know, I mean, that's, it, it's overwhelming when I think of that, Yeah, you know, and, and so many other guys that I've, I've, I'm sure I've missed their names. I apologize, but they were just immeasurable. Larry Tuttle, huge inspiration yeah so, a lovely person you know um, I, I don't know if you know mike kolowitz but he's uh yes somebody yes know mike yeah. very well yeah so just a, a really special people who are incredibly talented and um you, you, you touched on larry um, there's gage hey gage will you say <laughs> hi to the stick community say say hi bud hi hi good morning <laughs> how's it going Hi. Oh, he can't hear you. Hey. hey. Say, say hi to the stick players, bud. Hi. Okay, All right. So that's what that's we like. Right. Good. <laughs> hi, 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 hi. Like it's cereal. great to see you, Gage. Thanks for joining us. All right. All right. Hey, bud, I'll be done in a minute. He's got his little magic eight ball. I promised that we would have the oh, okay. magic like, eight ball challenge. Will I get today. breakfast? You know? Does that does that determine critical things? It's like Oh yes. Will we go to the pool? Will oh, I Oh yeah. All right. I play uh nerf guns with him. I see. Nice. <laughs> well um I suppose on that note, and that is a great note to end on, and that is, is to to acknowledge and recognize that the people that have come before us that have provided these opportunities, that have provided this path and training and the things that they've experimented with, and, and what a joy it is to be a part of that kind of ongoing experiment. Absolutely. Absolutely. What did I miss? Did I miss anything? I keep feeling like I'm missing something. No. Keep asking, but I don't have an answer for you. I think, yeah, I mean, th- Kevin, thank you so much for, for chatting with us. And... Oh, yeah. And I got more stuff, you know, more more music and videos coming. So stay tuned. Great. Great. Look so forward to it. On that note, what's the best way to, to find your music and get to it? You know, I'm proud to finally say that after a thousand years, I am on all the uh, major streaming outlets, Spotify, Apple Music, Bandcamp. Uh, best way, the central hub for all of my socials and everything is my website, kevinkeith.com, K-E-V-I-N-K-E-I-T-H.com. <laughs> okay, man. In the morning, Reno, Nevada. <laughs> it's K-Man in Reno. It's K and the chicken. <laughs> 
Okay. Well, it is a delight. I don't want to keep you from Gage or the pool or from fun with the Nerf guns. Um, so on behalf of the whole Daft and Time crew, thank you for spending time with us. And I can't, I can't wait to do it again. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. And, and honestly, I'm just grateful that anyone cares. I mean, like I say, I just kind of live in my own weird mind and I'm amazed that anyone's interested and I'm so grateful when they are. Yeah. Well, we care, Kevin Keith. We definitely <laughs> care. <laughs> All right. All right. Take care now. Hey, man, you too. I'm going to promise now tonight and you will see have mercy, have mercy. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'd like to identify Kevin's music that was dropped into this episode. The first clip we heard comes from Like a Holiday. And later on, we played some of A Do-Over. And right now, this one is called Mercy. All of these songs and other material from Kevin can be found at www.kevinkeith.com. Have a great day, and we hope that real soon you'll be able to pick up your instrument and play for a while. Goodbye. Have mercy, have mercy on me. I'm gonna promise now, tonight, and you will see. Have mercy, have mercy on me. comments. You can contact us by email at tapintimepodcast at gmail.com.